Well, church, last week we were talking about doubt and how doubt is a part of our faith. We were talking about Jesus saying to the disciples that even in the midst of that doubt, there are things that you need to be doing that you can be doing to move forward in your faith. And, and Matthew is great about telling us exactly what that is. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them all that I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always. I love the Great Commission because it's so straightforward, and yet somehow we manage to make it murky, and we have questions. Well, go, go where, teach what, how are we going to do this? And, and so John's going to follow up here again, addressing a lot of these same issues, the questions that we have with some very specific directions about how we're going to move forward as post-resurrection people. Would you pray with me and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for this good opportunity and we pray that you help us to do something good with it. In your name, amen. Have any of you ever seen or even better been on one of those, those catapult rides? It's like a slingshot. You're in an orb with another person and they, they pull you back and then very dramatically and ceremoniously they like launch you into outer space. It is not the type of ride for the faint of heart. I, I just look at it and, and get sick. Now these launch companies though, they have figured out a way to make even more money with these, these launches, they videotape them and they put the reactions of the people on the rides on the internet, on YouTube. And I must confess to you that the Lee family has spent one or 30 hours watching the reactions of people on this ride. And inevitably, the ones that they choose to put on YouTube are two very different types of people on the same ride. The first one is super excited. They are ready to go. That energy is flowing. We got the adrenaline going. They are like at an insanely questionable rate of, of excitement over what they are about to do. The other person, you can tell, is, is anxiously cautious, if not totally reluctant to be participating. Reminds me a lot of when my parents were, were dating. Mom would go on all the roller coasters. She loved it. Dad hated it anxious all the time about it, got on every single one until they got married. And, <laughs> but, but, he, but he did it. So all through the process of, of getting on this, this catapult ride, they, they're sitting next to each other, they're having a conversation, one is screaming, they're pumped up, lots and lots of hype talk, the other person is, you know, just, we're holding on tight, we're thinking about it, what it's gonna be like. They pull it back, and sometimes they'll do a countdown, but most of the time they fake you out and they send you launching before they fully count down. Um, and then, without any notice, you just go flying into the air and you, you look like what a toddler looks like when they're throwing peas around the room. It's, you're, just, you're just moving. And here's where it gets really, really good. This is the interesting part. The reticent, calm passenger is typically smiling they're looking around, they are checking everything out, but the energetic hype talker is passed out cold. 
I got some pictures of, of this. See? <laughs> um, it's, I have to tell you, it's even better when you watch it on video. <laughs> but two, two very different people have the same experience and react to it in very different ways. And that's what's going to happen today in our passage. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Little side note here, John refuses to call it the Sea of Galilee, but that's where we are. And Jesus showed himself to them in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of the disciples. Simon Peter says to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So they go out into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So once again, we find ourselves in the weeks that are following the resurrection. The risen Jesus has already appeared more than once, and everyone involved is in various states of emotional, physical, and, and spiritual exhaustion. Because think about what they have been through in the previous weeks. Going through the crucifixion and the resurrection and then these different encounters with Jesus, that is a lot. That is a lot for the human heart to, to maneuver through in a very short period of time. And so what do you do? What do you do when your life gets to that level and you need a break? The world is going too fast. You just need to step off for a little while. Peter decides to go fishing. And some of the other disciples decide to go with him. Now, there's two schools of thought as to what's going on here. The first is that, that Peter, he just had enough. He just had enough of, of all the emotional exhaustion of the last few weeks, and he used fishing to decompress. There are a lot of folks in our congregation who do the exact same thing. The other thought is that Peter had to get back to engaging in real life in work, in paying bills, in earning a living. Either way that you want to look at this, Peter is returning to what he knows, what is tried, what is true. The disciples head out into the boat, the entire night goes by, and they catch nothing. So have you ever thought about what they did all night? What, what do you do out there when you're out in the middle of a lake, it is completely dark, you're not catching anything, do you ever wonder, did they sit around and, and debrief the resurrection? Do you think that they, they compare their, their Jesus sighting stories? Maybe by this point, they're all just so exhausted that they just sat there in silence all night. Possibly, possibly they talked about non-Jesus related stuff. I've heard that sometimes our, our own church fishermen talk about things other than Jesus when they're out there on the water. But whatever they did, whatever it is that they did that night, it sure wasn't catching fish because they had nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus was there on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. And he said to them, well, cast to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they are able to haul in more fish than they can possibly carry. Don't you just love it when 
you're doing something that you, you do know a little bit about, and then a spectator comes along and they tell you how to do it better, isn't that just an awesome experience when that, that happens? And yet, and yet, without Jesus, they have nothing. They have nothing. When Jesus enters the scene, they get everything. Now here again, it is, it's possible that this was a fishes and loaves situation where Jesus took a little bit and he turned it into a lot. But it's also simply possible that from Jesus' vantage point on the beach, he could see what the disciples could not. So the disciples follow the instructions of this person on the beach, not yet realizing that it's Jesus, and suddenly they cannot haul in their catch because there's so many fish. Now here again, you kind of have to wonder how this all went down. Since John says that they didn't know that it was Jesus, at what point did they look back again to that guy on the beach that told them to cast to the right side? Because remember, they've gone a whole night, nothing's happening. We've got nothing going on. And then they hear somebody on the beach shout out directions that they follow, maybe reluctantly, maybe skeptically, maybe optimistically, We we don't know. But then when the results pay off in a positive way, at some point, they had to look back up and say, who, who gave us these directions? The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not that far from, from land, only about 100 yards off. What is happening here? I mean, take a look at this passage and ask yourself, what is happening? They finally figure out that it's Jesus, and then we get to verse 7, and things get super weird really fast. Peter hears that it's the Lord, and he puts on some clothes because he was naked. Do you have any questions about this? Does anybody think this is weird? Why is Peter naked? Is it a fishing thing? I do not want to know. I don't want to know. But the scripture, the scripture doesn't seem to indicate that everybody else was naked, that it was just Peter. And that's when you say to yourself, oh, it's, it's just Peter. We know Peter. This is what he does, right? But what's crazy about this isn't that he's naked, but that he decides to put on clothes before he jumps in the lake to swim towards the land. So we've been naked all night, but now we're going to jump off the boat, we're going to go swimming, and this is the time when we think we should probably put some clothes on. What's going through Peter's mind? Maybe he's lost, and he he takes off swimming, and the other disciples, who who you know had to be watching this whole thing, they kind of look at each other, they're like, ah, we'll just take the boat right back to land. We're only 100 yards out, they pull in all the fish with them. Now, they all saw Jesus. They all went from having nothing to completely full of nets, and yet Peter's the only one that jumps off the boat fully dressed and swims to shore, and the others calmly return with the boat full of their fruits of their labor. Same experience, two different reactions, both totally faithful. In the end, Everybody came to meet Jesus. 
they just went about it a little bit differently. When they'd gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net full of large fish, 153 of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come now and have breakfast. None of the disciples at this point are going to ask, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took bread, he gave it to them, he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What's interesting about this breakfast encounter with Jesus, aside from the fact that there were exactly 153 fish, by the way, by the way, those scholars for years have tried to research the significance of that number. That just happens to be the number. No hidden meaning there. But what's interesting is that Peter is the one who goes back on board to get them something to eat. It's almost like Peter was waiting. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Give me some instructions. I'm going to do it. So he gets back on the boat, and he's eager. He's eager to be at the center of the action, which is consistent with everything that we've ever seen of Peter in the scriptures. None of the disciples question that it was Jesus. There's nothing in the scripture that records erratic or overly intense reactions for the encounter for any of them other than Peter. So what is that all about? Why does Peter have, have this visceral reaction to what is happening? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. A second time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter feels hurt because he's now been asked a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would have to glorify God. And after he said this to him, he said, follow me. Jesus started a conversation with Peter, apparently right in front of the other disciples. That's not a coincidence. Because the other disciples would have been well aware of Peter's denial of Jesus during Holy Week. And it's possible that there was still some question among them about Peter's loyalty, his love of Jesus. It's also possible that, that they had questions about, did Jesus still love Peter? Peter had denied him three times. Did Jesus still love him? Was he still part of, of the disciples? Was he going to be cast out by Jesus? And Jesus wanted to be clear with Peter and in front of the disciples that Peter was very much loved, that he was very much forgiven and included in what was going on, but he wanted Peter to reflect on his own affinity and his own loyalty for Jesus by asking, do you love me more than these? Now, we tend to assume that Jesus is referring to the other disciples. 
But it's unlikely that Jesus would pit his followers against one another. Because remember, back then, there weren't a whole lot of followers to begin with. So we don't want to divide everybody by pitting them against one another. It's more likely that Jesus is asking if Peter loves Jesus more than fishing. Or more than these 153 fish that have just been caught. And when Peter responds in the affirmative, Jesus' response is, feed my sheep. Now I want you to think about your own life. If Jesus asked you, do you love me? You're likely to say yes, of course. But that's not what Jesus asked. He asked, do you love me more than these? And when you're asked that question, you have to wrestle. Do you love me more than money? More than friends? More than social activities? More than your job? More than your family? That's what Jesus is asking. And if so, if your answer is still yes, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Get them to the pasture where they are fed. Jesus comes back around the second time with Peter. Do you love me? Jesus denied Peter three times. He has a long history of impulse reactions. So Jesus asking a second time, that's like throwing up a speed bump in front of Peter. And yet, once again, Peter answers in the affirmative, and Jesus says, tend my sheep. Small difference in wording. Very, very small difference, but big difference in meaning. Feed my sheep is about simply getting them to the pasture where they're fed. Just, just, just feed them. Tending the sheep implies the total guardianship of the shepherd exercises. So all the things that, that it, it takes to be responsible for the health and well-being of those in your care, that is a far different level of commitment than just making sure everybody gets to eat. So Jesus asks once again, do you love me? And Peter is a little annoyed at this point. You might be a little annoyed too. Jesus has asked you to consider if you love him more than anything else in your life. He's asked you, do you love me? And he's tasked you with feeding and tending his sheep. He wants you to understand that this is not a throwaway commitment, that there is going to be action involved, that this is serious stuff. Now, most of you know that I have my own Peter, my son, and in the mornings, we go through a very similar conversation that is far less important about loyalty, but it's a conversation that's meant to incite action. So this is how it goes. Every school day of the year, same exact conversation. Peter, do you have your socks on? Yes, Mom. No. Right? So, okay, a couple minutes later, Peter, do you have your socks on? Yes, Mom. Right? But he's so busy. He's distracted. There are important things that fourth graders have to do in the morning that do not involve putting on our socks for school. So he's answered me. He's answered me. He's engaged in the conversation. We've had the conversation. He knows that there's something going on, but yet we're going to get to a third time, and usually the third time's like, Peter, 
do you have your socks on? Right? And it's at that time, it's by the time we get to the third time that it finally hits him, you know, you know what I should do today? I should put some socks on. That seems like a really good idea. Let me tell you, the biblical Peter, he's not that far behind. He's not that far behind. I should be doing something. Jesus said I should be doing something, something about sheep. What are we doing? What are we doing? Jesus comes back again and again and again, and Peter's annoyed. He's annoyed. How do you think Jesus feels having to come back a third time and say it? But the idea is that eventually it's going to hit Peter that, oh, oh, wait. I, we're not just, I'm just not answering a question here. I'm going to do something in response to this. And so once again, Peter responds in the affirmative, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. He levels down this third, this third time. And we don't know, we don't know if he's repeating it so it's ingrained in Peter's head, or if he's just trying to get Peter to start somewhere. If it felt like he just needed to calm Peter down before he could get him to move forward. It seems like Jesus is, is trying to give Peter the whole overview about how discipleship works, including following Jesus all the way to the cross. And once he's given him the entire plan, he comes back to where Peter can start, feeding the sheep. Because a lot of times, all of us will, will look at the big picture of something, and we'll be all in on the big picture, but we just don't know where to start. We're not really sure how to get it going. And it's important for us to think about this in, in our own faith walk. Some of us are really impulsive. We're eager. We are ready to go. And then there's others that, that are, want to be a little bit more rational and calm, maybe, maybe even a little bit more reticent. Either way, we all find ourselves in the same place when we stand before Jesus. And the questions are going to be the same, whether you're coming up on a full speed of adrenaline or if you're peeking out behind windows to see if you're really going to do this, the question is still going to be the same. Is Jesus the priority? Is he the priority? And if so, are we willing to shape our lives around this priority? You can see how coming fresh off the resurrection, Peter is going to say, yes, 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 of course, this is what we're going to do. But do you think Peter had any idea, any real comprehension that he would lose his own life in pursuit of following Christ? If, if we're honest about it, how many of us actually consider the cost? No wonder Jesus asked three times, do, do you understand what you're getting yourself into? Do you really get it? Do you know how much this is going to cost you? All of those questions went into, do you love me? And so Jesus ultimately, he backs up and he understands that even if we don't fully understand what it looks like to commit your life to Christ, we can start somewhere. And for the exuberant and the eager as well as the reticent and reflective Jesus starts us all at the same place when he says, follow me. Follow me. Of all the instructions that Jesus gives in this passage, this is the most clear cut. We're not all going to understand feed my sheep the same way. Well, who are the sheep? 
What do we feed them? How much should we feed them? How often do we feed them? There's, there's too much gray area in there for a lot of us. We, we just can't, we can't do that. And if we have all these questions about feeding the sheep, it's going to be a whole new level when we talk about tending the sheep. It gets complicated. So Jesus circles back around and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Follow me. Follow me. And if you do nothing else, follow me. Two words, follow me. It's clear. Do what Jesus does. And if you need to know what Jesus does, then you go right back to our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Go right back into the Gospel of Matthew and just do what Jesus does. If you do what Jesus does, you will learn what it means to feed the sheep. You will understand what it means to tend the sheep. Peter got to the shore first. Maybe that's you, and maybe, maybe you're ready to go. The others took a little bit more time, but they all got to Jesus. And when they got there, they all started from the same place. And when they were finished with that conversation, they all left with the same instruction. Follow me. Follow me. If you do nothing else, follow me. So let's do that. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, help us to follow you. Help us to stop looking around to see which ones of us are excited and exuberant and which ones are reticent and reflective. Help us to stop comparing ourselves to one another. Help us to stop with the judgment about who's getting it right and who's getting it wrong and who knows how to feed the sheep best and who can tend the sheep best. Help us to let go of all of that. Help us to let go of all the messiness that clouds our judgment. Forgive us. Forgive us when we get it wrong. Help us to keep it simple. To just follow you. If we follow you, if we do what you are doing in faithful ways, the ways that, the ways that you taught us in the Gospel of Matthew, if we do that, then we're going to be able to feed the sheep and tend the sheep. But if we do nothing else, help us to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.